This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Luke writes, So those who welcomed his message were baptized. That was Peter's message. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, again, we are grateful that you have called us to be here this morning. We are not here by accident, but because you have drawn us, you have called us, you have summoned us, you have moved within us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to lay aside all the many distractions we bring with us, of all the other things we could be doing, and to be present here fully for you and what you have for us. And so we give this time to you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our sermon series this morning from the book of Acts, a series we have been calling, What is This Thing Called the Church? We are focusing on the book of Acts, not only because it gives us a vivid description of what the early church was like, but also because it helps us to understand how we today can better become the church Jesus is calling us to be. Over the past several weeks, we have been reminded that the church is called to be a witness for Jesus in the places and the communities and the settings where we live and work and play. We have been reminded that we are not only to tell the good news, but we are also to be the good news. And we are to proclaim the good news, as Scott reminded us last week, in and through our daily lives and activities. And we have noted that the only way the early disciples were able to witness and proclaim Jesus in the way they did was because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this same empowerment, Luke reminds us, is also available to us, to you and to me, through the very same Spirit when we commit our lives to Jesus and we seek to follow him. Now, in these verses uh, that we read just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 2, Luke gives us a, a brief description or glimpse into what life was like for those early believers. He gives us a brief summary, if you will, 
of some of the basics, some of the basics of what it meant for those early disciples to be the church. Some of the fundamental beliefs and actions and behaviors and practices and attitudes that the early church sought to live by. When I think of the basics, I'm always reminded of Vince Lombardi, the highly successful football coach, you know, in the 60s, 1960s, 50s and 60s, whenever that was, uh, of the Green Bay Packers. And he was once, Lombardi was once asked how he produced winning teams. And he declared that any group of naturally endowed, endowed athletes could win more games than lose if they concentrated, he said, on the basics of the game. Things like blocking and tackling and kicking and passing. One time after the Green Bay Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFC Championship to the Philadelphia Eagles, Lombardi called a team meeting for the next Monday morning because he felt that his players were beginning to lose sight of some of the basics of what it meant to be a Packer, a football team. Some of the basics that guarantee victory. And appearing before his players on that Monday morning, you've probably heard this story or some version of it, he held a football, a football high above his head and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And at that, one of his star players, Max McGee, was a Pro Bowl wide receiver for the Packers. He raised his hand and he said, he said, uh, a coach, C could you slow down a little? You're going too fast for us. Well, even though it's a humorous story, Lombardi, I think, was trying to make the point that sometimes we need to go back to the basics, to the fundamentals of who we are and what we are called to be and to do. Interestingly enough, the Packers went on that next year to win the NFC Championship 37-0 over the New York Giants. You know, whenever, if you ever watch football, whenever a team is struggling, you always hear a coach or a commentator say something like, well, you know, they need to go back to the basics. I was watching Sunday Night Football last week, and Bill Cowher came on commentating for the game that was that night. I think he was talking about the Steelers, who've been struggling a little bit. And um, he, said, he, said, he said, the Steelers need to go back to the basics. Protect the football. That was the thing he said. Protect the football. Again, apparently they weren't protecting the football. In these verses, Luke likewise describes for us some of the basics of the early church, things that were fundamental to them that sometimes we forget, but that Luke says we need to protect, we need to get back to. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to look at all of these basics. This passage we read, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is just loaded with stuff about the early church. And I wish we had two hours. We don't. You don't want to sit here two hours. But I wish we had some more time because there's a lot that could be said. I do want to highlight, though, three, three things that stood out to me as I was reflecting on this passage this week that I think are helpful for us to remember as we seek to be the church, not only during this interim time, but also as God leads us 
into the future. So let's take a look at those now. And if you have your Bible there, I'd, I'd encourage you to open to Acts chapter 2. There's Bibles in the pews if you didn't bring one. So we can kind of take a look at this together. 2, starting with verse 42. First of all, in these verses, Luke tells us that the early church placed a high priority, a high value on fellowship, but also on learning about their faith growing intellectually in their knowledge of God and the scripture was a high priority for these early Christians. Look again at what he says in verse 42. Luke says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we all, all know how important fellowship is, and there's much that we could say about it. But what really grabs me in this first part of this verse is how much the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This word devoted, uh, translated devoted here means more than a simple, simple casual interest in something. The Greek word here literally means to give oneself to something. One's time and attention and energy and resources. I like the way J.B. Phillips translates this verse, the first part of this verse. He says... He says, they continued steadily in the teaching of the apostles, not sporadically, but steadily. I've been reflecting on this verse this week, and as I've been reflecting on how important um, learning about our faith was to those early disciples, I found myself asking the question, why is it that so many Christians today, so many of us today, seem to think that once we get out of Sunday school as a kid or whenever, that we no longer need to grow in our faith or in our knowledge of God. We no longer need to keep growing in the scriptures, understanding the scripture. Many Christians seem to be like the student who was in a general studies class one time. The student complained that the class was boring and he wondered why they needed to learn about events and issues that were going on in the world today in this general studies class. Teacher replied, the class is not boring. What we are talking about here is current events, important current events. Current events, the students challenged. I thought we learned about current events last year. It seems to me so many of us today say something similar. We learned about the Bible last year or when we were a child in Sunday school or whatever. Why do I need to continue to learn about it today? I've already been there, already done that. Gordon-Conwell Seminary recently hosted a 100th celebration anniversary of the birth of J. Christie Wilson. Christie Wilson was a missionary for many years in Iran and particularly Afghanistan before he taught missions at the seminary for about 17 years. This was a number of years ago. And this celebration of his life and legacy brought home to, to Debbie and me once again. We, we attended, we watched it on Zoom. Um, but it brought home again to us how important it is that we keep learning about and growing in our faith and in our understanding of the scripture all throughout our lives. He was a, a real great example of this. But here was the thing. The speakers at this celebration reminded us that one way Dr. Wilson always encouraged his students 
to continue to grow in their faith was by memorizing scripture, sometimes whole portions of scripture. And one of the scriptures I remember memorizing for Dr. Wilson's missions class, now this was in the late 1970s, was from Habakkuk 2.14. Yes, Habakkuk is a book in the Old Testament, 2.14. And the verse is, the earth will be filled with the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I still remember that verse today, kind of, mostly. As I'm getting older, it's work at a little more. All these years later, though, having memorized that scripture, I still remember it. But I have to admit, I have not done a lot of memorizing scripture in recent years. Some, but not much. But Debbie and I were reminded again that memorizing scripture is something we really ought to begin doing Again, it's a great way to get the Bible under our skin and into our bones, especially when we are in situations in our lives when we need to hear a word from the Lord. One of the reasons why we offer Growing Together Following Worship each Sunday is to help facilitate this kind of growing in our faith by enabling us to think about and wrestle with some of the ideas and concepts that we talked about in the sermon. And of course, growing together is not the only way we do this. There are also Bible studies, small groups. Last year, Alpha. In November, coming up, Christian Formation will be offering a four-week adult study on sharing our faith with others called Prepared to Share. Prepared to share the hope that is within us. There's a brief announcement about it in the bulletin this morning, and I hope that you will think about and consider participating. Sharing our faith as, Pres as Presbyterians is not something that most of us do very well. So I hope you will plan to participate. I know Debbie and I plan to do so. The point is this. The early church never stopped growing in their knowledge of God and God's will for their lives as individuals, but also as a church community. And I would suggest to you that we too must have that same passion, that same commitment, that same hunger to grow in what we believe and why we believe it. Not just so that we can fill our heads, cram our heads with a lot of knowledge, but so we can infuse the way we live our lives. Secondly, Luke tells us again in verse 42, that the early church was a community of believers who are not only committed to the apostles' teaching, to growing intellectually in their faith, but they were also a community that placed a high priority on gathering together for worship. Look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves, Luke says, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then later on in verses 46 and 47, he says, day by day they spent much time together in the temple in worship. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. What Luke is describing for us, I think, here is something of what their worship life, life looked like together. He's mentioning communion and prayer and gathering together. You may remember that these early believers first worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem along with the Jews. But eventually they were forced out because of some of their unique 
views about Jesus as the Messiah. And because they had no church buildings, they met instead in homes and what were often called house churches. And because of persecution, they often needed to keep a low profile. But here is the thing. Luke says they devoted themselves to worship. It was not something they did grudgingly, but something they really wanted to do. Now, I'm sure there were days when members of the early church were tempted to sleep in on Sunday mornings, just as we are. Again, they were not perfect. They were human. But you do get the feeling, not only from this passage, but from other passages in Acts and other places, that regularly gathering for worship was an important mainstay for them. Important priority. Unfortunately, the same attitude does not always seem to be true for increasing numbers of Christians today. More polls and surveys tell us that worship appears to be something that many Christians today can take or leave. Corporate worship is increasingly seen as an optional activity, and not just because of the pandemic. I ran across an article this week, uh, and the article was titled, How Often Do We Go to Church? In New England, Not That Much. That was the title of the article. A Gallup poll of 177,000 people that was conducted in 2014, so it's been a few years now, indicated that New England has the lowest church attendance of any place in the United States. And I already knew that. Actually, where, we, where, we're, where we've come from, in the Pacific Northwest, is neck and neck with New England in terms of which is the most unchurched part of the country. You know, which, you know it's a dubious distinction, right? But there is this sort of neck and neck. But New England generally wins out on this. The article said that here in Massachusetts, only 22% said they went to church regularly or any kind of basis. And I, my guess is, this was done in 2014, my guess is if we took a survey today, it'd be even quite a bit less than that. Now, of course, there are many reasons for this, but certainly what all the polls and statistics indicate is that participating in worship on any kind of regular basis is becoming less of a priority for a growing number of people, especially younger people. Not just younger people, but many younger people, and even many Christian people. The pastor of a church was once in a coffee shop sitting next to a man who was reading the newspaper, and the man glanced over at this pastor and noticed by his clerical collar, he had a clerical collar on, that he was a pastor. So, he, so the man said to the pastor, asked the pastor, where, where is the church that you preach in? And the pastor pointed in the direction of the church somewhere down in the corner close to where the coffee shop was. And the man put down his paper and he said, well, what do you know? That's the church I belong to. I go there myself. And the pastor stared at the man for a moment. And then he replied, that's interesting. I have been preaching there for five years. And I don't believe I've ever seen you in worship. The man cracked a smile and said, oh, come on now, pastor. I didn't say I was a religious fanatic. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems like many Christians today feel similarly about worship. 
and they only attend when they have nothing else to do. I hear Christians say things like, I can believe in God without being a part of a church or going to worship. I don't need the church. And of course, at one level, there is some truth to that. A person can believe in God without being part of a church body. And of course, the pandemic has made it much more difficult and more challenging for many to feel comfortable attending worship. I totally get that. But the early church never would have understood how one can be a believer in Jesus without being significantly connected to his body through worship. Worship has always been a primary way that the early church demonstrated their visible oneness in Christ. I believe that what we learn from these verses is, is that God wants us to do all we can to cultivate not only our personal worship life, which is important, Bible study and prayer and things like that, but also our corporate worship life as well. Third and finally, Luke tells us that the early church was a community of believers who not only were committed to growing in their faith through learning and glorifying God through worship, but, were also, but also prioritized serving God in the church and in the world through their generous giving. Look again at verses 44 and 45. Luke says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all who had need. Now, what does this mean? Are we required to sell everything we own and give it to the poor in order to be a part of the church? Well, that might not be a bad idea. But I don't think that's what Luke is suggesting here. After all, in verse 46, Luke says that the disciples were breaking bread in their homes, verse 46, as well as in the temple. So I take that to mean that some of them still owned personal property and had homes and possessions just like we do. But I think the point Luke is making here is simply this. When the early church saw a need in their own fellowship or in their community, they made every effort to find a way to meet it if they could. Now, certainly they could not meet every need, and they didn't. But when they needed money to take care of the poor or needy, for instance, they found a way to raise it, often through the personal sacrifice and giving of the members of the church. Generosity towards others was a defining value of their life together. This kind of generosity reminds me of something Tony Campolo, who used to be a professor of sociology at Eastern University and a popular Christian conference speaker, he once said at a Christian woman's missions conference, Campolo was one of the speakers. And at one point in the program, towards the end of the program, the women at the conference were challenged by someone, maybe by the conference chair or somebody, to raise several thousand dollars for one of their mission projects. And the chairperson of the conference turned to Dr. Campolo and asked him if he would pray for God's guidance upon the women as they considered what they might give to help achieve the goal. You know, they hoped to raise maybe half of what they needed. You know, even, maybe not even that. To the chairperson's surprise, Campolo came to the podium, and he graciously declined her offer. Instead, he said this. He said, 
He said, you already have the resources necessary to complete this mission project right here in this room. It would be inappropriate for me to ask for God's blessing when God has already blessed you with abundance and the means to achieve this goal. The necessary gifts are already in your hands. And as soon as you take the offering and underwrite this mission project, Campolo went on, we will thank God for freeing us to be the generous, responsible, and accountable stewards that we are called to be as Christian disciples. And when Campolo was finished speaking to them, they took the offering. And to their great surprise, the mission goal was not only fully funded, but they raised much more than they needed. And at that point, Campolo led them in a joyous prayer of thanksgiving for God's abundance and for the faithful stewardship of God's people. I love this true story because it reminds us that just as the early church was generous with the financial resources that were given to them, so also we too are called by Jesus as his disciples to be generous with everything God has given to us. Not only our money, but also our time and our talents and whatever resources God has put at our disposal. Unfortunately, many churches and Christian ministries are struggling today, partly because God's people are not adequately supporting them, generously supporting them, with, not only with their money, but also their time and talents and other resources. These verses and acts remind us that we already have all the resources we need here in this church to do the ministry God is calling us to do. As Campolo reminds us, we just make, need to make sure that we give them to the Lord. And next month when we have our annual stewardship drive as a church body here at Old South, we will have the opportunity to reflect a bit more on what it means for us to be a generous church. As we have said, the early church was not perfect. They had their problems and issues and concerns as a church as we do today. We don't want to over-romanticize them. But Luke tells us that they did tend to have a quality of life together and concern for others that while not perfect, was indeed very attractive. So attractive, Luke says, that people wanted to be a part of it. They were begging to get in. Imagine people begging to get in our church on a Sunday morning. Just got to get in there. Got to be a part of that. Well, that was what was happening in the early church. Look what Luke says in verse 7, 47. He says, he says uh, that they spent much time together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And here's the thing. And he says, and day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There are a lot of reasons why they were coming and being added. But one reason, I think, is because they saw something in that early church that they wanted to be a part of. And I believe God is calling us to, you and me, to be that kind of church that kind of worship, that kind of generous witness, that kind of community presence, not only here, but also in Newburyport, in the North Shore, or wherever we might be. Let's bow for prayer.
Gracious God, we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us and continue to bless us financially, but also with gifts and talents and abilities and resources to serve you. And as Campolo reminded the people at that conference, so also we are reminded that we already have, probably have all the resources we need to do all the ministry you are calling us to do. And now what we need to do is to release them to you. And I will be the first one to admit that I am challenged by that message sometimes myself. Not nearly as generous, not nearly as giving, not nearly as faithful as I know I could be. And so we pray, Lord, that you help us each in our own way to reflect upon how you might be calling us to live and to serve, not only during this interim time in the life of this church, but as we move forward into the future to the next 275 years and beyond of ministry here in Newburyport. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use us as your people, as your church, and that we would be such a light to this community and such a resource to this community that people will be, be really wanting to come in and be a part of it. We're thankful already for some of the ministries that are going on, like Sunday Sandwiches, and other outreaches, the bubble outreach, all these sorts of things that are already being done in our community. Thank you for the faithful people who are involved in those ministries and others like them. And we pray, Lord, you continue to inspire us to how we might serve in even greater ways. Lord, we pray for... Um, those who have special needs, I continue to pray for my brother Jim, who's back in the hospital with COVID, struggling, battling, fighting, and so many others, Lord, uh, like him. And we pray for them and also their caregivers and their families and their loved ones. We pray especially for the, oh, the nurses and the doctors and all those who are working uh, night and day to help alleviate this, this crisis. And so we pray for, for them and for extra strength for them, protection and guidance. We lift up Jim Furno, Lord, and his cancer treatments, continue to be at work in Jim's body. We pray, Lord, for the transition team as they begin discussion on preparing Old South for a new pastor, guide and direct them. And Lord, we pray today, too, for Jim and Sarah Singleton, for Hunter uh, in their transitions to their life we pray that you'd watch over them remind them that we are prayerfully thinking of them as well and lord we lift up to you all the other cares and concerns we bring with us this morning we all have them and now we ask that you help us to release them to you and so we do so lord we Draw our hearts together as we pray the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.